morning to the book of Mar- the book of Mark. We're looking in the book of Mark, and today we are in Mark chapter. Don't have a Bible, or if you forgot yours, there is one close to you, a uh, pew Bible, and this is on page 842 in your pew Bible. So I encourage you to follow along as we work through this text together this morning. As we begin, our, our title of the message this morning is Continuing Education. Think about continuing education, we often think of often think of professionals and people in a variety of career paths that they continue to learn. And, and obviously learning is important. If you're going to a doctor, you want a doctor who's continuing to learn and making sure that he is sharp with the things that he is working on. You go to a mechanic, you want to make sure your mechanic knows what's going on, that he is aware of what's happening in, uh, in, in the auto world and how things, can, um, how things have changed. You want him to be aware of that. Because things don't go well when we stop learning. I'd ask you the question, when we stop learning, what happens? What happens when you stop learning? When you think that you know as much as you need to know, when you think you know as much as you need to know, you're really not interested in learning anymore. Um, I'm sure you've run into people who are finished learning. They oftentimes think they have all the answers. Now, they know all they need to know because they think they know everything, and they're happy to pass along their wisdom to let you know how, how brilliant they are and how ignorant you might be because they know it all. And we recognize as we sometimes think that we know it all, we oftentimes become closed-minded to new ideas. We become closed-minded to different ways of doing things. We often become antagonistic to those who would want to do things differently. As we recognize that, that, that learning is something that God has wired us all to do and that we are all to be ongoing, continual learners, continuing to learn. In education, teachers talk about helping their students to become lifelong learners because as we learn, we, we have new insights, our minds are expanded, our viewpoints are broadened, and yet as we stop learning, we get stuck. And this can happen in the lives of believers just as it does in unbelievers. I think oftentimes in churches we can get stuck in the way we've done things. We come to Christ eager to learn, eager to learn as we're new in Christ and we've, we've discovered the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beauty of all of that. So we'll sit in church and we're vigorously taking notes in our Bibles. We're circling things. We're underlining things. We may have a notebook and we're writing things down, all these things that we're learning uh, we may go to conferences to learn more. We begin to serve, and we're learning how to serve, how to participate in various ministries. But oftentimes, as time passes, we become complacent. We become complacent with what we know because we've learned a lot, and then we become kind of satisfied with where we get to, that we are comfortable with how things are, and because things are comfortable with how they are, we stop pursuing new opportunities. We stop studying, we stop reading new books, we stop engaging with people that have different ideas with us, and as a result of that, in the church, oftentimes we become spiritually flat. We become spiritually flat. It's not that we've drifted into a, uh, a heretical position, it's not as though we drift away or we're moving away from the Lord, but we just become spiritually flat. And not much is going on. There's not much growth happening because, frankly, we're content with what we know. I know what I need to know, and that's sufficient. 
And I want to challenge you this morning that, that Jesus is inviting us into the school of discipleship. And the school of discipleship that Jesus invites us to is a lifelong school. That it goes on our whole lives of believers, and we need to continually be investing our lives and growing and learning more and more about Christ, learning more about what it means to be a believer. When I'm thinking about an illustration of what this looks like, I, I think of like a Play-Doh. Right, think about it, as you have kids or grandkids and you open up the fresh new thing of Play-Doh. It's got the smell, the Play-Doh smell to it, and it's got the sticky kind of feel to it, but really pliable, right? And you're molding it and you can, you can move it and shape it into whatever you want. And as long as you take good care of it and as long as you're using it and making it pliable, it stays moldable. It stays, um, you, it's very useful, but what happens when you just set Play-Doh out on the table and you think, that's eh, good enough, and you leave it there for a while? What happens to the Play-Doh? Yeah, it dries out. It gets crumbly, changes colors a little bit. It kind of gets a lighter color. And, um, and after a while, even after it dries, it starts to get cracks in it, so it doesn't really look very good. It's not a very good clay to just make a sculpture out of. And I think sometimes that can happen to us as believers Whenever we're not continuing to learn that we don't stay pliable, we're not allowing God to continue to shape and mold us. And what happens sometimes is, well, we get kind of crusty and crinkly and not very useful. Well, our passage this morning, we see Jesus helping his disciples to continue to learn more and more about him. And that is what I want us to be challenged with today, that we would learn more and more about Jesus my big idea this morning is to encourage us to, to, to not stop learning. That Jesus always wants us to be learning about him so that we will continue to grow in our dependence and confidence in him. That we continue to learn so that we'll grow in our dependence and confidence in him. So let's look at our passage together. It begins in Mark 6, verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when, everyone, everything, uh, when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, and the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. And he meant to pass them by, but when they, they saw him walking on the sea, they, were, they, were, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out, for they saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, and he said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the lows, but their hearts were hardened. Verse 53 continues, it says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gesenaret, and they moored on the shore, and they got out of the boat, and the people immediately recognized him, and they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. well. This passage comes on the heels 
of Jesus feeding the 5,000. That Jesus and the disciples had had a really long day. Actually, if we back up a little bit to chapter 6, verse 30, the disciples here had been sent out two by two to go. They went to cast out demons. They were healing the sick, preaching the gospel. And they had been out two by two. And they come back in verse 30. And it says, And the apostles returned to Jesus, and he told them all that they had done and taught. I mean, they'd had an exciting ministry. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And so the disciples had been working hard. They've been working hard, and there's so much ministry going on, they don't even have time to eat. I mean, it's busy, 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 busy time. And here, Jesus tells them to get in the boat, go to the other side. So they get in the boat, they wrote, and their plan is to go to this place where they can all just hang out together, get some rest. But they get there, and people see them. And everybody comes. And as we talked a couple weeks ago, I'm pretty confident the disciples would have been like, Jesus, please just send them away. We are exhausted. We need a break. But they knew the heart of Jesus. And Jesus serves these people, serves them all day, even to the evening, to the time of dinner. And there's nothing to eat. And so Jesus tells his disciples, give them something to eat. And they're like, well, how can we give them something to eat? Even if we had like eight months pay, we don't have enough money to give them something. And Jesus said, have them sit down. And Jesus takes two fish, five loaves of bread, and feeds 5,000 men which if there are women and kids there, maybe 15,000, 20,000 people. And so the disciples, they're super tired, and now they have to be supernatural caterers for this crowd, and they are exhausted. And then finally, though, in, verse, in, in our passage in chapter 6, finally Jesus immediately has them get into the boat to go to the other side. Now, something this gospel doesn't teach us that the other gospels writers tell us is that after Jesus fed all these people, they wanted to make him a king. Okay, they wanted to make him a king. And why do you suppose they wanted him to make him a king? He just fed them at, with two fish and five loaves of bread. What kind of, the king, does, what kind of king does it sound like they wanted? Now, frankly, they wanted the kind of king like a lot of people in our country want a king. They just want somebody to give them what they want, right? And if they give them what they want, we're going to be satisfied with that. But Jesus has come for a far greater mission than that. And so they're wanting to make him a king. And Jesus says to them, hey, get in the boat, let's go. So finally, they're going to have some time to rest. And as we just pause here in verse 45, before we move on, when Jesus has his disciples get in the boat, what I want us to see is that, that Jesus is a compassionate leader. The back we saw in chapter 6, verse 30, we see this compassion and wanting to give his disciples rest. But he is a compassionate leader who gives us rest. He wants us to have rest so we can reflect and recharge. Jesus cares about us. As we think about life, life does get hard. It gets busy. We get Our schedules are full and we have a million things going on and it's easy for us to get tired. And as we looked a few weeks ago that the work of ministry is exhausting. And we talked about how ministry can be exhausting, it can be demanding, uh, that it can be instructive, but it's also satisfying, but it can be hard. And in the midst of this, we see Jesus saying to his disciples, he's seeking to give them a break. And I'm confident that they get in the, into this boat, they take their 12 baskets full of food that were left over from the, uh, from the feeding of the 5,000, and they have an opportunity to rest. And I want us to see that this idea of rest... It's something that God has hardwired into our creation. 
and hardwired into us. All the way back in Genesis 2, after God had made the world, look, look there with me, Genesis chapter 2. It's probably on one of the first few pages of your Bible. If you're using a pew Bible, this is on page 2. God's made the world. How many days did God use to, take, to make the world? Right, six days. Now we get to the seventh day. And you know what happens here in Genesis chapter 2. God makes Adam and Eve. He looks at the creation and he says, it is very good. And day six ends and it says in chapter 2 verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested. He rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And as we recognize this, that God works six days, that then he rests. We see as we read a little further in the Bible that that pattern of work and rest is something that God wants us to follow. And now, we'd ask the question, well, why did God rest? Because the question, was God tired at the end of six days' work? No, God wasn't tired because he's all-powerful, and he can give and give and give and never, lose, never become tired at all. Why does he rest? I believe we look theologically why he rests. He rests to enjoy the work of his hands. He rests to enjoy the work of his hands. As we think about six days of work and a day of rest that God's built into creation, we recognize that we're different from God because we have to rest. Right? We have to sleep. That we, we, we need that for us, for our health. But also, not only do we need rest to recharge, we also need rest to reflect. To take time to pause and to look back and to think, how have I used my time? I've been working and working. What, what have I accomplished? Because we realize God desires us to be workers. I think God wants us to be hard workers. And I think as believers, as we would read the scriptures, that if there's somebody at your place of employment that be, should be some of the hardest workers where, in our places of employment, it should be us. should be followers of Jesus because we know that we've been made to work. Now, sin messes work up, right? Because sin makes it really hard and makes it drudgery and makes it boring and some of those pieces. But work is still a good thing that God's created. And so we work hard and we work hard and then we rest. We rest and reflect. And as we think about that, even in the work of ministry, that there are times when we're going, 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 that it's good to stop, to pause, to reflect, and to look and to think, what's God done? What has been done through his hands? What has been done through my hands? And that we would have this idea of rest put into our own lives. And I would encourage you that Jesus is helping his disciples to learn. He's helping them to learn that he wants them to have rest. We see that again. Turn with me to, from Genesis to the book of Matthew, chapter 11. Because I think about just where we are, the culture we live in, the pace that we live, it is easy to get tired. Would anybody agree with that? Is it easy to get tired in our culture? Is anybody here tired today? Right? We, realize we get tired. And then we get tired, and then we're like, and i got to keep going, and how do I do this? And how do I keep functioning? How do I get going? And there's certainly wise things about our schedules. But look in Matthew 11. This is on page 816 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 11, verse 28. This is something I believe Jesus wants us to continue to learn. He says this, Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Who's going to give it to us? He will give us rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That we have a Savior in Jesus Christ, that we have a God who is seeking to help us, to give us what we need, to give us rest. And I certainly believe there's physical rest that we need, but there's also a spiritual rest that we need. A spiritual rest we find in Jesus, that there is this, an anxiety of life and a busyness, and I can never keep up, I can never measure up, I can't do all that. And I think Jesus is saying to us, then let me. Let me be the one who gives you rest. Let me be the one who gives you peace and confidence and joy, even in the midst of the busyness. Let me give you rest. And that we would learn as we're, as we're busy in all of our schedules to be able to cry out to Jesus and say to Jesus, Lord, help me to be able to rest. In the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of my schedule, Lord, help me to rest. And, and, and our big idea of our passage this morning is that we need to be learners. And I'm confident one of the things that we need to learn as Christians living in a busy society in 2019, one of the things God wants us to learn to do is to rest in Him. And that we would go to school, that we would read the Scriptures, and that we would learn to be able to pray and ask Him for help, ask Him to give us rest, and a rest for our souls in the midst of the business of life. I believe Jesus wants us to find that, and He offers it to us as he gives his disciples this. Well, back to Mark chapter 6. Now we see this school of learning that Jesus is inviting his disciples into. Realize that working hard, he's had them working hard, but now it's an opportunity for them to rest. But as they are resting, look what happens in verse 46. So Jesus dismisses the crowd. He has his disciples get in the boat. What does Jesus do? Verse 46. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. As Jesus dismisses his disciples, as he's giving them rest, he goes up to the mountain to pray. We see Jesus praying in a number of places in Scripture. We see Jesus praying uh, at his baptism. He is praying, and the heavens open. The Holy Spirit comes down as a dove. He hears the voice of the Father. All that happens in the context of Jesus praying. Uh, we see also Jesus praying when he chose his disciples. He prayed all night on that big decision. We see Jesus praying at a transfiguration when he was trans, transformed in his glowing white light, this veil of his glories lifted that he was praying in that context. Probably his most famous time of prayer was when he was in the garden, when he's heading to the crucifixion and he's praying to the Father, sweating drops of blood, not my will but your will be done. And we see Jesus praying. We see other places in Scripture that tell us that Jesus would withdraw from the, from the crowds and he would pray. That he would go to a desolate place and pray. That he would pray early in the mornings. And there are times when he would pray all night. As Jesus sets this pattern of prayer, his disciples say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he teaches them this pattern of prayer, that what, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And we see this idea that this Jesus praying in this, and why, we'd ask the question, well, 
theologically, Jesus is God. If he's fully God, and we understand his Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're one, we'd ask, well, why does Jesus pray? I mean, doesn't God already know? I mean, how, how does that all work? We have to realize when Jesus took on flesh, he lived his life in complete dependence on the Father. He set aside the, his, the independent use of his divine attributes. So all the supernatural power that he had to be able to call to it at any point, he said, I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to live as a man and I'm only going to do the things that a man can do and if I do supernatural things, I'm only going to do it when the Father grants me the permission to do it. He was always living according to the will of his Father. So why did Jesus need to pray? Jesus needed to pray the reason we need to pray because we're dependent on the Father. And so we see Jesus as a compassionate leader. We also see him as a dependent servant. A dependent servant who trusts the Father to meet his needs. You see, Jesus, over and over, he doesn't do things on his own initiative. He seeks the Father's will. He does what the Father wants. He doesn't want to be moving ahead of the Father, doesn't want to be lagging behind, and so he has this constant communication with the Father. And as we think about this idea, Jesus, how many of us truly understand our need for prayer. Now, if we think about, I mean, maybe if you, what if if we did an inventory today and ask, okay, this past week, what would your prayer life say about your dependence on the Lord? Because I'm confident or pretty sure that for most of us, our prayer life doesn't demonstrate a lot of dependence, maybe desperation, right? But but not dependence. Because desperation and dependence are different, right? Desperation comes whenever I don't have anything else to do. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do. I'm in this desperate situation, a situation I cannot handle. And those desperate situations drive us to prayer. How many of you would say, Desperation drives me to prayer. My hand's up, right? Here's the question, though. We would confess that we are dependent upon the Father. We would say that we know that every good thing we have ultimately comes from God. We would say that we want to be doing the will of the Father. We want to be men and women. We want to be students who are following and doing what God wants. But how often are we talking to God about it? How often are we learning that we need to be praying continually? Are we in the school of discipleship when it comes to prayer? Because oftentimes when we often pray is that we've been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and doing and doing and doing and finding like, I don't know what to do. And so then we pray because we're desperate rather than dependent. Think of Think of prayer in, in, in this context. It, our lack of prayer would be like this illustration. Let's suppose okay, it's springtime and you're working in your flowers and you decide you need a bunch of new mulch. Okay, the stuff's all faded and the water's washed it away. So you call the landscape place and you say, I need a truckload of mulch. So they bring, they got the biggest truck they have and they load it up with mulch and come and they dump it in your driveway and your car's in the garage. So you got to move it, right? So you're like, well, here we go. And so you go to your garage and you have your shovel and you start working. You're sweating and you're, I mean, you're getting exhausted and you're working and working and the pile just hardly has a dent. But you keep working and you keep working and you keep working and it's, you're absolutely exhausted and you're tired and you're like, man, this is not a good idea. It's taking all day to do this. 
And then your kid comes out and says, hey, Dad, what are you doing? And which you're like, man, I should have had them come out earlier. But it says, moving mulch. And the kid says to you, hey, Dad, why didn't you use the tractor? And you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that would been a good idea. Because you've got a little utility tractor out in your garage. It has a little bucket on it that you can move all that mulch. And going up, turning over that tractor, run, 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 we're going over your all that. It's done in, like that, right? Okay, and what are we thinking after we, the kid says that to us? We're like, man, why didn't I think of that? I'm confident that's oftentimes how prayer is. That we have the God of the universe who's much better than a utility tractor in our garage who is eager to help us who wants, to, wants us to be calling upon him, who wants to empower us, who wants to use us in a whole variety of ways, and yet we're over here so often just, just struggling and trying harder and being, I'm working harder, and, which is, I mean, it's all great. But I think God's sometime over here like the kids saying, looking out the window and thinking, why didn't he ask for help? Why is he, why is he trying to do that all himself? Because we're not dependent. And yet we see Jesus, the Messiah, demonstrating dependence on his, on his Father. And if Jesus is praying, how much more do we need to be praying? That we would be people that, that don't go to prayer as a last resort, but we start there and we're saying, God, help us. I want to ask the question, are you learning to pray? In the school of discipleship, are you learning the lessons God wants you to learn about prayer? I want to encourage you. Tonight, we're going to have a night of prayer. This Sunday night, that's tonight, um, we are going to use our evening service to pray together. To pray together as a church. As we think about where we are as a church, that we don't want to be like the mulch movers doing it all on our own. We want to see God empower us and strengthen us and give us direction and, 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 and help us to be the church that he wants us to be. Because I don't want us to be, and I don't think God wants us to be the church that can just do what we can do alone. We want the Holy Spirit working in us. And if we want God to work in us, guess what we should be doing? We should be talking to him about it. And so tonight at, at 6.30, we're going to pray together. At 6 o'clock. Is that right? Sunday night? 6, yeah. Yeah, I, I get Sundays and Wednesdays mixed up. 6 o'clock tonight. Now, you say, well, that's kind of weird for me. I'm not sure I want to do that because I'm not a real prayer, public prayer, blah, blah, blah kind of stuff. I say, what's the point of the lesson today? Being a learner. All right, opportunity to learn. Class is open tonight. Class will be in session. Now, listen, you don't have to pray long prayers. Actually, tonight, I'll tell you this. If you're like, I don't know about coming... I'll, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. If you'll come tonight, and during the time of prayer, you only say five or six words, I will be delighted. Okay? That's all you have to do tonight in prayer. If you're like, I don't know if I want to do that. Okay, we're going to start out easy. School, the lesson's going to be easy tonight. All you're going to have to say the whole night are five or six words. Okay? Now, some of you can say more than that. Okay? But if you're like, I don't know, come. All right? Tonight, school of prayer is going to be open. And uh, again, we want to be learning, but we also want to be depending. Depending on God to help us, to give us direction. Well, as we see here, so the first part of this passage, Jesus has his disciples get in the boat. He goes up to pray. His disciples then back into our passage. The night goes on. What happens? In verse 48, it says, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. 
So the disciples are on the boat, and they've probably had their, they've eaten their baskets of food, and they got a little rest, and they're going, they're rowing, and it's hard. I mean, they are heading directly into the wind, and they're not getting anywhere very fast. And so they're certainly probably exhausted, and it says, and he came to them, he says, actually says it was about the fourth watch of the night. That would be between 3 and 6 a.m. What was Jesus just doing right before this? Praying. Okay, he's been praying a long time. And he's done praying, and now he's walking across the lake. <laughs> he doesn't need a boat, right? The Father has given him, said, hey, this is fine, go walk. So Jesus walking across, and it says, it's interesting here, it says at the end of verse 48, he meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out. So in verse, he says, he came to them, but he came to them, and he's going to pass them by. Now, if you're reading your Bible close, you're like, I don't understand that. He's going to He's coming to them, but he's going to pass them by. So, well, which one is it? He's going to come to them, or is he passing by? What's going on here? Well, this idea of passing by, okay, we've seen that in the Old Testament a couple places. So, watch, how's Jesus going to pass them by? What's he doing? Yeah, what's he doing? He's walking on the water, okay? Who can walk on the water? Not a normal person, right? Something supernatural is going on here. And now... What have they been seeing about Jesus? They've, been, they've watched Jesus heal people, raise the dead, forgive sins, cast out demons, calm storms. They've seen him do all of these things. They just saw him feed 5,000 men with two fish and five loaves of bread. What conclusion should they be coming to about the identity of Jesus? He's God, right? So now they see him walking on the water. Jesus is going to pass by. As Jesus is passing by, we see in the Old Testament book of Exodus, when Moses wants to see the glory of God, God, he wants to see the face of God, God says, no, you can't see my face, but I'll pass by you and you can see my glory. And so God passes by and all this stuff goes on. It's Exodus I think it's Exodus 38, 34, you can look it up. But he goes by there and sees his glory. So what's happening here? Jesus wants to pass by them for them to recognize that, man, this is one more lesson for us, guys. This is who Jesus is. A new lesson. He's been giving us all these other lessons, and here's the latest lesson. He's God. He can walk on the water. And we see this in Job chapter 9, verses 8 to 10. It talks about God who stretches out the heavens and tramples the waves of the sea. We see in the book of Psalm, chapter 77, it says of the Lord, Your way was through the sea, your path was great waters, yet your footsteps were unseen. And these Old Testament hints of God as the God of over the water. And Jesus is walking on the water and watching his disciples. So let's think about this. If the disciples were in the right place, their hearts were in the right place, they understand that this is Jesus walking across, revealing his glory to them. They're struggling and they're struggling and they're struggling. What should they have done? I should have said, help us, Jesus. Help us. We're struggling out here. You're God. You can walk on water. You've done all these other things. Can you help us get to the other side? I think Jesus would have said, well, absolutely. Because I came out here. I was going to pass you by. You've asked me for help. I am happy to help you. 
And what we see in this is that Jesus is a purposeful teacher. That Jesus tests our hearts to help us grow. As Jesus does these things for us, as he's revealing himself to us, he wants us to see him more and more clearly. And we realize that, that these trials that we're in, that God is oftentimes wanting to reveal himself to us in clearer ways. They're struggling to get across the lake. We think about the things we struggle with. Finances, relationships, marriage, kids, school, all the things that burden us. And very often, back to where we were before, we're just, we're just trying to row harder. Rowing harder. Head right into the wind. When Jesus is like walking right here. And we don't call upon him. And he wants to teach us in these trials about his ability to help us, his ability to give us rest, his ability to strengthen us. He wants to teach us these things. And he says to his disciples, because they're freaked out, right? They're like, yikes, it's a ghost. Okay, and actually look down in verse 52. It says, for they did not understand about the loaves, okay, about the five loaves and two fish, but their hearts were hardened. I really think what's going on here, they're, just, they're busy, 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 busy in ministry. They're tired, and because they're tired, because they're busy, because they have a focus, they want to get to the other side, they're not even thinking about Jesus. Now think about how often that's true in us. We're busy, busy, maybe busy with ministry. Lots going on, a trial comes along for us, and it's really hard, and it's tough, and all that. And, and, and it's as though Jesus walks by, and we're oblivious. Because we've just we've got to focus on us. I got to get to the other side of the lake. I'm tired. I'm worn out. It's three in the morning already, and I man, I just want to get to the other side. And then some ghost shows up, and we think that ghost is something terrifying. But in our passage, it's Jesus. And Jesus, though in His love, this is beautiful that we see the kindness of Jesus because it says they were terrified. We're told their hearts were hard, and they're missing it. You know if. And I, I'm thankful that Jesus isn't like me because if Jesus is like me, I'm saying, are you guys kidding me? How long have you been with me? I'm Jesus, right? I've done all this other stuff. I'm walking on the water. You should not be surprised. I'm here to help you. And you're just scared. I'll tell you what, I'll just meet you on the other side. I'm thankful that's not Jesus. Jesus, what's he do? He says, take heart. They don't get it yet. And he loves them. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. When we see the love of Jesus in our failures and in the hardness of our hearts, we see him continuing to draw near to us to continue to teach us. And one of the ways he teaches them here is in this passage when it says, it is I, that is in that we see this form of this statement over and over in the New Testament. Jesus is actually saying, he says, I am and now our theological or biblical ears are going ding, 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 ding. Because what's he saying? When Jesus says, I am, he's saying, I'm God. Remember the burning bush with Moses? When Moses, God introduced himself to Moses as the I am, Jesus is saying, I'm him. I am the eternal God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God who brings people out through the, through the uh, Red Sea. I perform miracles. Jesus is saying, I am and because he is, we don't need to be afraid. Because he is, we can find rest. Because he is, we can learn. 
because he is, he is the bread of life. He's the water of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the good shepherd. Jesus is the light of the world. He is all of these things for us and for us to turn to him and to recognize him for who he is and as he compassionately draws near to us and says, don't be afraid. And the disciples, it says, when the wind ceased, they are utterly astonished. Whoa. And what did Jesus do? He doesn't rebuke them, but he gives them an opportunity to grow some more. And they're astonished. Well, the passage then continues as Jesus is teaching them the fact that he is a compassionate leader, he's a dependent servant, that he is a purposeful teacher. In verses 53 through the end of the chapter, what we see and we read earlier, they get to the other side, all kinds of people see him, everybody comes to him, everybody laying people in a town square so that it says in verse 56, and wherever he came in villages and cities or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. This is phenomenal. I mean, these people, so the streets really crowded, and what's happening? And Jesus is walking through, and you get this people, this picture of people just reaching out to be able to touch the hem of his, of his robe. And as they touch the hem of his robe, they're made well. I mean, this is the power of God just oozing out of Jesus. I mean, it's just oozing out. And as it oozes out, and people are restored. And, and it's a beautiful picture of how God works for us. Because what does God do? God is a restorer. This reminds us and points us to the reality that Jesus is the living God. And what does he do? He restores those who believe. What did the people have to do to get healed? All they had to do was believe. And how did they know if they believed? They reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and they're restored. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel for us. Because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what does God do? That God in his grace, we're told in the book of Galatians, for we are not saved by works, but by grace are you saved through faith. This not of yourselves is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What does Jesus do? He is a living God who restores those who believe. He wants us to continue to learn this, continue to learn this. And I would ask you this morning, have you learned this fact? That Jesus is the eternal God who took on flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose from the dead to pay the penalty for the sins that we deserve, and that our sins can be washed away, our shame can be gone, the falling short that we think we're really good, but we don't measure up, that God fills that gap with the righteousness of Jesus. Do you understand that God offers us new life in Christ? By faith, by simply believing. It's this picture. And as we recognize this this morning, I want us to recognize that God wants us to be continually learning. We're in this school of discipleship. And the question for us this morning, four questions. Are you learning? Are you learning to rest in Jesus? All the craziness and all that goes on, are you able to rest and have the peace of God that passes all understanding because you trust him in the midst of the craziness. Are you learning to rest in him? Are you learning to depend on Jesus? And is that dependence reflected in your prayer life? Or does your prayer life reflect that you're primarily dependent upon yourself, but you're confident Jesus is there when you're desperate? 
Are you depending on him? We'd ask a third question this morning. Do you understand that Jesus is a purposeful teacher who is using your trials to help you to see and understand and learn of him? And the fourth question, are you learning? Are you learning that Jesus is the living God who brings restoration to all who believe? I want to encourage you this morning to consider where you are in this school of discipleship. Because again, we don't want to be the, the, the crusty, crumbly Play-Doh that's not learning anymore. We don't want to be stuck with where we've always been and thinking that what I've known about God is sufficient. Listen, what you know about God may be, uh, it may be enough, but it's not all you need to know. He's eternal. The, the, the manner in which God wants to use you, I'm confident God wants to continue to expand that. The manner in which we do ministry, we have a changing culture. How do we adapt? How do we, how do, we do ministry in a new era? How do we do that? We need to think hard. How do we grow in the school of evangelism? How do we grow in the school of discipleship? How do we grow in the school of prayer? And I would encourage you to be thinking and praying, God, help me to be a student and help me to be learning so that I can be effective and faithful and useful to you in your kingdom. Are you a student? Are you learning? What are you learning? And what are you willing to learn? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us so much Lord, that you've invited us into this school of discipleship as believers. Lord, today I pray if someone's here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, that, that they, would, they would humble themselves to repent and to believe the gospel. I pray that you would help them to know that you are indeed a compassionate leader, that you're a dependent servant, a purposeful teacher, and Lord, you are the living God who brings restoration. Lord, help us as a church to be growing in, in, in our understanding of you. Help us to continue learners that we're sharp, so that we're, we're useful, so that we're productive in the body of Christ. And God, as we sing this morning, Lord, help us as we sing a song about thanking you. Lord, I pray that the thanks that we have in our hearts would overflow into action with our hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.